0: If you had asked me if I believed in things that went bump in the night, I would have looked at you as if you just escaped the nearest psychiatric ward and given you a terse, derisive response. No. I've never believed, not in ghosts, vampires, werewolves, ghouls, haunts, haints, or any other explanations for things heard yet unseen, glimpsed but never identified. Oh how content and ignorant I was in my disbelief. I realize how difficult this will be for you to believe, that is, if you're anything like I was just a week ago. I'm not going to sit here and swear every word of it is true, because you probably won't believe me anyway. It would be a waste of your time and mine, but it is. I want to tell my story, and for no other reason than to get it out of my head. And maybe by writing it down, putting it into some tangible form, separating myself from it in some way, it will become less real and more dreamlike, more story-like. And then maybe I can read it and enjoy it, be disbelievingly amused by it, as if it didn't happen to me but to someone else. I'm scared though. If I share what I know, Where will that leave me? Where will that leave the human race? What if I tell, and as a result of my telling, everyone I've ever known and loved is wiped out? After already losing so much, can I really risk that? But I think I must. Firstly, if I do not say something, I'm going to need to be permanently confined to a straitjacket in a padded room because that'll be the only way to stay alive maybe to say nothing of the giant clumps of hair which are already fallen out or been torn out of my head due to fright anxiety and trauma and secondly if i do not say something the human race will be wiped out slowly one by one and no one will ever be the wiser oh well maybe that's not entirely true Eventually, some poor soul will figure it out, just like I have, and begin hollering from the mountain tops what he knows, to his own folly. And they will find him, and they'll silence him before anyone has truly heard a word of what he has said. It's a vicious cycle, and it will not end. And they will find me, too. But I think I've made peace with what I'm about to do. I believe now, and in believing, I've also had to face the fact of my own death. By telling you this story, I know I'm signing my own death warrant, but it doesn't matter. Death? Over insanity? Over the fingers of dark knowledge wriggling inside my brain? Knowing that by telling what I know, all I have seen, that I might save the lives of others. So, yes, I believe it's worth it. I believe. The building stood ugly, squat, and long, alongside a seldom-traveled back road, about ten miles or so outside the city limits. It was an old building. Maybe at one time it was a barn of some kind, but now it was hard to tell. The wooden facade now sported a blazing blood red with black trim, I happened to be traveling this road on a semi-regular basis because my parents still lived in the country, and the shortest route between where I lived in the city, and where they still lived on the small farm of my childhood, was this twisting, turning, narrow back road. So, I was familiar with the building, enough to know that it marked, for me anyway, the halfway point between my home and my parents' but I'd never really paid much attention to it before. In fact, until recently, the wooden sides of the building had been severely warped, weathered, and molted down, forcing it into the general surroundings of trees, brush, and large boulders. There, but not there. Just an old building like any other old building in the well-established woods of rural Tennessee. But on one such trip out to visit my parents engrossed in my own thoughts i rounded the gentle curve in the road to see the newly painted garishly red building and i caught my breath and i was surprised more surprised than i really can express to you but from what i could tell the building had virtually been remodeled overnight it hadn't been more than two days since my last visit to my parents home the only reason I was going back was because I would left my iPad there and wanted to retrieve it. Mom had asked, Well, since you're coming, you might as well stay for dinner. I'm making a roast. No one turned down my mom's roast. I pulled quickly to the side of the road, across from the newly painted building, and just sat there for a minute, looking at it. The wood was still warped in places, but it looked like someone had shored it all up. That it was structurally sound once more further the very few windows the building actually had were from what i could tell painted over with the same black as the trim it's odd i said aloud looking at the windows another odd thing there was a neon open sign flashing next to the black painted door open what could that mean I didn't have time to mull it over as I was already going to catch grief from my mother for being late and making her wait, and so I guided my little silver car back onto the road and and continued on my way. The building was forgotten, for now. Over the next few weeks, I had made several trips to and from my parents' house, and it seemed as if each time I passed the long building in the woods, something new had been done to it. A corrugated metal roof, a little portico over the entrance, a gravel parking lot bordered with huge boulders. Other than the red color, the building seemed to establish itself as both new, and yet also a well-loved aged part of the natural surroundings. It became a matter of some interest to me during my back and forth drives, a small pleasure watching the establishment, whatever it was transform itself transform itself yes because I never saw a single person doing any kind of work there and maybe I just didn't pass it at the right times but I never saw any equipment either I tried to imagine how heavy those parking lot boulders were no way they were moved without heavy equipment but mostly it was a curiosity to me nothing more I got up every day Showered, dressed for work, spent eight hours sitting at my desk mindlessly keying data into my computer. Some evenings, I'd go to a local place for a brew with a few work buddies. Other evenings, I'd go home, turn on the tube and suck on a beer, then hit the sack. My life didn't change much, and honestly, I was kind of bored. And so, went on one of my visits out to mom and dad's. I saw cars, pickup trucks, and motorcycles in the parking lot of the red building in the woods, the open sign flashing garishly in the gathering evening gloom, and I began to speculate on what type of establishment might now be housed in that ugly old building. My parents and I discussed it at dinner that night, scratch-made fried chicken, mashed potatoes and sautéed veggies for mom's fussy vegetable garden but neither of them knew anything about it I saw it enough to notice it dad said idly but that's about it ain't heard nothing about it though you ask me it's probably a biker bar sure in shooting we're going to see a lot more trouble in those woods Bill mom said a warning tone in her voice you don't know that wouldn't matter anyway I'm just glad someone found a use for the place is all. I had nothing to add to the conversation after that, so we finished our supper in silence, and after I'd helped clean up, I went home. That night on my way home, I felt something was off about the building. I couldn't put my finger on it, not right away anyway, but it gave me the jitters as I drove by it in the deep dark of the full night wary i kept watch on it as i passed the building receded away behind me eerily illuminated by my car's taillights finally lost from sight at the curve in the road when i got home i felt foolish in the bright light of my own small apartment i chastised myself the building couldn't be whatever i'd thought it was it was stupid I called myself several names before I finally gave up and got ready for bed. The next morning my mother called me at the office, which she never does. Joey, you know what? Your father might be right about the place in the woods, she said. Well, this morning I was coming back from the market. There were police cars all around that place, buzzing like flies. That yellow tape up all over the place. I don't know what happened, but you know, it can't be good. Wow, that's um a little scary. I said haltingly. You okay? Oh Lord, honey. Yes, I'm fine. Whatever happened has got to be bad, though. For all those nice officers to be out there in such numbers. Well, I'm telling you, Joey, I ain't never seen the like. Well, at least not outside television. She told me to be careful the next time I came up out to their place. Told me she left me and hung up. I knew she'd be picking the receiver right back up again to call Gladys and Meryl, her two best friends, to gossip. I refocused on my work, the conversation shortly forgotten. Another week went by and again, mom called that work. Well, I'm making your favorite tonight for supper. Why don't you come on over and share it with us? It'd be good to see you, sweetheart. She sounded a bit edgy, and I couldn't think of a reason to say no, so I accepted the invitation gladly, looking forward to her baked barbecue spare ribs. Dinner was amazing, as always. I could never understand how Mom could get her baked ribs to taste like they'd just come off a smoking charcoal grill. Those, along with her special scratch made macaroni and cheese, and helping him more veggies from her garden was as satisfying a meal as I'd had in a long time. I loved my mother's cooking, but mom herself looked pale, with splotches of red in her cheeks and deep, dark circles under her eyes. She seemed almost unwell. She assured me multiple times she was just tired, saying, well, I've done too much this week with the ladies' auxiliary. Once the fall fundraiser is over, I'll rest some. But even her eyes looked watery, paler than her usual bright and sparkling blue. I pulled dad aside to ask him about it. He echoed mom's story about the fundraiser and how she'd not been sleeping well. She'd been having bad dreams, he told me. If this continues, I said, looking him straight in the eye and using a stern voice as if I were the parent and he were the child. She should see a doctor. Well, I know, son, I know. I'll keep my eye on her. He seemed wary too. A day later, the police were gathered around my parents' home, yellow police tape surrounding the property, my father sobbing in the back of a squad car, the coroner wheeling my mother's lifeless body out to his van. Dad was questioned by the police, but they didn't think he'd done anything wrong. They were just trying to figure out what had happened. I stood with my hand on my dad's shoulder, trying to reassure him with my presence, but barely able to keep myself together. She just didn't wake up, son. Dad sobbed to the questioning officers. Well, we gone to bed just like always, but she didn't wake up. I knew she wasn't feeling right, but she said she was tired. I wasn't going to argue with her. You don't argue with Joanna, you just don't. If she said she was fine, by God Almighty, she was fine. He stopped talking, hitched a breath, and began to cry again, unashamed and broken. I was here the night before last. I offered and proceeded to tell the officers about how she looked, how she acted, my personal observations, the brief discussion with Dad about trying to get her to see a doctor. I was as baffled as my father was, as aggravated as well. Finally, one of the officers said, Well, we're sorry about your loss, Bill. Yours too, Joe. Y'all holler if you think of anything else, alright? We nodded at them as they walked away and then turned to embrace one another, crying on each other's shoulders. The loss of my mother was just enormous i felt a hole in me so vast it could have filled the entire universe and then some and if i felt this way i could only imagine how my poor father felt without discussing with him first i decided i'd move back home for a few days at least until i could get a handle on myself and on my father on the situation even We had a funeral to plan, and it would be easier on both of us if we were just together. Dad seemed grateful for my presence, though he never actually came right out and said it. He was a man of a very few words. I was allowed to take three days off from work for bereavement leave, a meager offering from the corporate machine. And so I worked until the day of the funeral, then took time off to grieve with my dad. Now I don't want to talk about the funeral i can't it was probably the most horrible day of my life suffice it to say between dad and myself along with a sea of mourners mom was buried with an ocean of tears and a field of sunflowers afterward the little farmhouse was inundated with well-intentioned folks bringing casseroles and pies and offering assistance wherever and whenever we numbly accepted the offerings held awkward wooden conversations which, afterward, were not remembered in any great detail, if at all, and we took comfort in one another. Dad and I, we'd always been close. He'd show me how to use each piece of equipment on the farm, taught me how to milk the few cows we'd owned. He kept me busy, occupied with chores and other things, and every time I'd complain, he'd said with a wiry grin, Just building your character, son. You'll thank me someday. He taught me how to drive when I'd been twelve. Just a few turns around the barren backfield, but I'd felt as if I were floating on cloud nine. None of my school friends knew how to drive yet, and therefore I drove the tractor too. Dad never said much, but when he did speak, I listened. He was gentle and kind, and though he never said the words... I love you. I knew he loved me. Every action spoke of his love for me. I never once doubted. I knew how lucky I was to grow up with two loving parents the way I did. These days, so many people I knew were the product of broken families. We got along fine out there in that little farmhouse. But about four or five days after the funeral, Dad said, Joey, you go on home now. You got to keep living and you don't need to babysit your old dad. I argued with him, saying it was fine. I wanted to be there, you now because I did. But he all but shoved me out the door. I didn't argue with your mama, he said as I stepped out the front porch. And you sure as heck ain't going to argue with me. Now you get. And that was it. I was dismissed. And though I honestly worried about him out at the farmhouse alone, well, I had to admit, I was glad to be heading back to town, to my boring life, because every minute I spent at the farmhouse, another hole was carved out of me. Grief was, quite literally, beginning to eat me alive. On the way home, I passed the old red building as usual, and once again felt something not quite right about the place. I dismissed it though, it was too absorbed in my grief. Life returned to normal, or as normal as it could get. Dad and I talked on the phone every day. He played his part and I played mine, but we both knew our lives were lies right now. Both of us just going through the motions. The loss of wife and mother simply too huge. And then one day, about two months after mom had passed, I couldn't get in touch with dad. I tried for our usual morning phone call, and he didn't answer. I assumed he must be outside working on the barn. There wasn't a phone out there, and I tried again an hour later, and no answer. I tried several times throughout the day, growing increasingly concerned with each unanswered call. Until at 5 o'clock, I leapt up from my desk and practically raced for the exit. There was an uncontrollable urge driving me to go to the farmhouse. Just call it a gut feeling. Now I guess I don't need to tell you what had happened. Not really. But I buried my father next to my mother less than two months after she died. With his favorite pair of work gloves... And a rustic bunch of wildflowers, instead of as it had been with Mom, tears and sunflowers. I stood there, blindly watching the grave diggers refill the hole in which my father's casket now rested, and I allowed grief to overtake me. When I'd sufficiently recovered, the hole was filled. The cemetery workers were gone, and it was nearly full dark. I'm not going to regale you with the day by day stuff. You see, I inherited the farmhouse and my parents' meager savings, plus all the equipment, the land, the animals. As much as it pained me to let go of so many pieces of my childhood, I alone could not take care of the farm and keep my job. And so I sold off some parcels of the land, along with most of the farm equipment, animals, and other things until I'd managed to offload enough that I felt I could live there, take care of the places Mom and Dad would want me to, and continue to commute into the city for work. It was only a 30-minute drive after all, so it was doable. After a conversation with my landlord, I was allowed to break my lease without issue, and I moved into the farmhouse permanently. My first night alone in the farmhouse was bittersweet, Memories of childhood welling up, mixing fondness and joy along with the sadness. I wandered throughout the house, touching the banister and remembering the time I slid down it on my butt, managing to break my ankle on an awkward dismount. I fingered the wooden paneling in the front hallway, the angler door to the small closet under the stairs. Remembering how I'd made that little closet my fort for many years... My parents always knew where to find me, tucked away in there among the stashed pillows and blankets, reading or playing with my action figures, immersed in a world of my own making. Opening that small door, I saw where I'd carved my name on the back of it, when I'd been ten. The little room smelled the same, just exactly the same, and the memories overwhelmed me. I spent a lot of time wandering around the house as I began to remember what it was like to actually live there, permanently. And slowly I began to make plans to update a few things, and time went on. And then there was one night, about four months after my father had passed away, and about six months after mom. I was in bed, I would taken over the master bedroom, the windows of which looked out onto the front yard reading a book on coding and nodding off, when I heard a commotion down in the yard. The chickens I'd kept were squawking and make fluttering sounds, flapping their wings in distress. I peeked out my window, expecting to see a fox or a coyote. We did have both in the area, worrying about the chickens. But instead, I saw a man. A man wearing dark clothing, standing right below my bedroom window, staring up at me, and his eyes were impossibly glowing. My heart thudded hard in my chest in shock. I blinked hard and hoped when I opened my eyes that he'd be gone. He was, but that night, well, the nightmares began. They were relentless, reoccurring and awful in every aspect, full of blood and death, yet sweet and seductive. I'd wake, sheathed in cold sweat, shaking from head to toe, both horrified and yearning. I could never remember what the dreams were about specifically, just that they were terrible things, and the red building in the woods. And somehow I remembered that red building in the woods, and I began to lose sleep. I would force myself to stay awake only to drift away on a cloud. On a light, beautiful cloud, with music and a voice beckoning me in the mist. Mom's voice. Joey? She'd say. I couldn't see her face, but I knew it was her voice. Joey. Well, everything's just gonna be alright. Your father's here now too, and everything's going to be alright. Sweet. So sweet to hear her voice again. But it bothered me too. There was something about it that bothered me. Every night I'd try to stay awake and drift off only to hear mom's voice again. And one night, I snapped upright out of sleep suddenly understanding what was making me uncomfortable. Mom didn't talk like that. She clipped her words. Everything instead of everything gonna instead of going to she'd say fine instead of all right. I was immediately angry with myself my mind my stupid college educated mind was messing with my memory of my mother it was her voice for sure but not in the way she'd speak to me she was born and bred country girl raised on cooking lard butter biscuits hard work and prayer And I wanted desperately, so very desperately, to hear her voice speaking in the way she would speak. But that aspect became just another part of the terrible nightmares, and I couldn't fight it. Soon the dream would change, though. I would climb out of my bedroom window, jump from the second story of the house to the brown grass below, lithe and agile, and run miles and miles to the red building in the woods. And once there, I would walk up to the front of the building, look at the flashing open sign, and see my hand reach out to open the door, and wake up sweating and shaking in my bed. I attributed these dreams to grief, and for a very long time, I let them slide. Folks at work began to comment on how tired I looked. I'd gotten used to it myself. It was many weeks before I made the connection. My current pale face with red splotches and dark circles under my eyes was the same face my mother had two days before she died. I hadn't seen my dad for a few days before I found him dead, but I suddenly suspected he too would have had the same pasty complexion with sickly roses in his cheeks and charcoal ashes under his eyes. Sleep deprivation. It had to be. There wasn't another explanation for it. I went to the doctor and he pronounced me ultimately healthy, though slightly anemic, and prescribed a pill to help me sleep. Anemic? I questioned him. Yes, but only very slightly, he had responded. It's quite common, especially if you aren't sleeping or eating well. At this, he pointed out my chart indicating the 20 plus pounds I'd lost since my last visit, just before mom passed. Look, he said matter-of-factly, just try the sleeping pill. I prescribed a very low dose so you can see how you do. Some people don't need any more than this. If it helps, then great. If not, well, make another appointment to come see me again in two weeks, and we'll just do a follow-up. Okay? Yeah, alright, I responded, taking the prescription from him. Oh, and uh, Joe... Make sure you eat some more. You really are getting a little bit too thin. Iron-rich foods, too. That'll help with the anemia. Spinach, beans, you know, stuff like that. You could cook it up or... Wait, hang on. He reached behind him. Here, just take this. And handed me a brochure called The Iron-Rich Diet. Now, I didn't like the idea of the sleeping pills. And, tired as I was, I felt like taking them would be a bad idea. I wasn't sure I was quite that desperate yet, but that night, in my dreams, my mother's voice said to me, It is going to be okay now, Joey. Your father is here too. He agrees with me. Take the pill, Joey. Needless to say, I was awake for the rest of the night. When Kevin, my supervisor, called me into his office a few days later, he told me he thought I ought to take some time off. Maybe go to the beach or something. Get some rest. I resisted. I was fine. I mean, of course I was fine. You're not fine, Joe. And you know it. Listen, I didn't want to have to pull this car, but you're making it kind of hard not to. Your work's starting to get sloppy. I need you in top form. Every account here relies on your data, and if that data can't be trusted, well, well, let's just not go there yet. Just go get some rest somewhere, not around here, okay. I was stuck, okay. I mumbled, feeling hollow. Joe he said, as I turned my back and started for the door. yeah, I responded, You'll be okay, you know it's grief, it's um it's a tough thing, makes us uh feel all kinds of things, makes us do stuff or forget stuff we wouldn't normally do or forget to do grief sucks joe i know i'm not telling you anything that you don't already know just you know i well i wanted you to know that if you need anything just anything at all you could call me you know boss or not i'm still your friend joe in an odd way i felt better thanks i said and left I felt at odds with myself. What did I do? Just take off and go to the Bahamas for a week? I could afford to do that after selling off so much of the farm in order to make it manageable for me. It wasn't a question of money, it was a question of what? What was holding me back? I mean, Something was, that was for sure. For reasons I could not explain, I understood I could not simply go to the beach catch some rays, drink a few beers, and come back refreshed. A new man. Now, something was holding me here. I wonder if it is grief. I wondered aloud. Maybe. I answered myself silently. I drove home from work that day in a daze. It was just barely past noon, sun still shining brightly overhead in the cloudless blue sky of early September. I took the curves in the road easily, nearly by rote, thinking about my options, distracted. I rounded a curve in the road and was startled out of my self evaluation by the sight of the red building. Neon sign flashing, open, open, open. And almost without thought, I found myself pulling off the road and into the gravel parking lot. There was a car and a few burly motorcycles parked in the lot. I'd seen it busier on other occasions, but now it was probably deserted. I sat in my car for a few minutes, wondering what I was doing there. I didn't even know what this place was, for sure. Only the suspicion of my father voiced at the supper table those many months ago that it was a biker bar. A bar, which meant beer. And I'd never wanted to drink more badly than I did right at that moment. And so, without further thought, I left the car and found myself walking slowly up to the entrance of the red building in the woods. I saw my hand reach for the knob on the door and turn it, giving the wooden barrier a slight push to open it. And what I saw on the other side of the door had me stopping in my tracks, Six men, sitting side by side at the bar, all turned to stare at me simultaneously. It was very disconcerting. The bartender, a tall woman with long, sleek black hair and cat eyes, also turned to look at me, stopping in the middle of swiping her grungy towel around the inside of a freshly washed glass. I was clearly an outsider, and my father had been right. Biker bar. The men all wore black leather pants, some wore leather jackets or vests, some wore jean jackets. Each staring face had not seen the blade of a razor in months. The bartender, clearly as taken aback by my entrance as her patrons were, was the first to break the silence. Easy boys, she said, her voice like warm honey. Then to me she said, come on in stranger, y'all want a beer? Her eyes sparked with vague amusement. Haltingly, I said, yeah, more, well, more than I've ever wanted anything else in my life. I stepped in and closed the door behind me, walking carefully over to the bar. The guys were still watching me, but with far less hostility than a moment ago, before Miss Boy Sound Like Honey spoke to them. To me. She had already poured me a beer and had it ready as I chose a seat a couple stools away from one of the other customers, instinctively keeping my distance. So, Miss Voice Like Honey said, what brings you to the Red Barn today? The Red Barn? I asked stupidly. She opened her hands, palms up, and gestured around her indicating the building. You're sitting in it, Slick. The Red Barn? Feeling stupid, I said, Well, not really wanting to spill my guts in front of seven total strangers. The man just to the right, one stool away, said in a deep, gravelly voice, not looking at me. This is where we come to share all our secrets, son. Something about the way he said it was hypnotic, and I suddenly found myself telling these seven people all about the last few months. Mom's death. Dad's passing, the farm, the lack of sleep, the nightmares, the forced vacation from work. I told them all while staring into my untouched beer. And when I fell silent, I took a deep breath and then downed my entire beer in one go. When I glanced back up, the bartender was already sliding in another glass in front of me, and each man at the bar had leaned around to gape at me. To a man. Their eyes seemed almost hungry. I saw not one iota of sympathy from them. Well, oh, Gee, Slick, hell of a rough time you've had out there, Miss Voice sounded like Connie said, but even she had a look of hunger in her eyes. I was suddenly more nervous than I'd been when I first opened the door to the place. What the heck was I feeling? Yeah, I said with a nervous chuckle the dude to my right got off his stool, came over to me, slung a beefy leather clad arm around my shoulder and said, oh sorry man that's just, well that just fucking sucks, let's get a drink, nerves gone, his stone like voice once again hypnotic, I agreed, yeah let's get a drink, Before I knew it, tequila was flowing faster than I'd ever drunk it before, and I was completely wasted in less than 30 seconds. Man, you're a lightweight, the bartender said, amused. Slurring my words, trying to stop the room from spinning, I grinned stupidly at her and asked, What's your name? Well, honey, my name's Vanessa, she said, though folks usually just call me Nessa. That's. I paused, trying to remember how to speak. That's a nice name, Nessa. My name's Stone, gravel voice offered. I laughed. He looked at me accusingly, somewhat offended. No, I tried. No, it's just your voice. Your voice makes me think of gravel, so your name fits. Speaking was getting hard. Language was beginning to evade me. English. I spoke English, right? Stone relaxed a bit, and he grinned. Now, did I imagine it, or were his teeth sharpened to wicked points? It didn't matter, though. You see, drunk me was happy. Well, you know, Stone, I think you're uh, you're my new best friend. And then I passed out, my head on the bar. When I awoke, I didn't know where I was or how long I'd been out. I had a killer headache and my stomach felt oily and wavy. I knew if I moved much, I'd vomit up my spleen or another vital internal organ. I groaned. I'd never gotten that drunk ever in my entire life. If I never did it again, it would be too soon. I fell back into unconsciousness, not caring where I was, just wanting to sleep it off. The next time I awoke, I felt marginally better. Still headachy and nauseous, but I felt like my internal organs might stay put, even if I did vomit. But still, it was not time for me to even attempt to get out of bed. Was I even in bed? And finally, after who knows how long, I woke for good, feeling most like myself and desperate for a glass of water and a shower. I opened my eyes gingerly, taking in my surroundings I was more than a little surprised to find myself at home, at the farmhouse, in my own bed. And when I looked out the window, the filtered light of the early morning felt like ice picks in my sensitive eyes. I saw my car was parked out in the front yard. Now, I didn't drive home myself, did I? I mean, I wouldn't have. I couldn't have. I was too desperately drunk to even attempt it stone or one of the other guys must have driven me home and i felt embarrassed and genuinely grateful but there was something in the back of my head that nagged at my thoughts something squirmy and uncomfortable something i couldn't remember i wrote the feeling off to drunkenness and tentatively got out of bed testing my footing carefully before i attempted to walk to the bathroom i stood under the pounding stream until the water ran cold then stood there a bit longer until i felt nearly human when i stepped out of the shower i wrapped a towel around my waist and grabbed the big plastic university of tennessee cup i kept on the sink and i downed three straight glasses of water Ugh. okay i said aloud now what i dressed in sweats and a t-shirt kept my feet bare and wandered down to the kitchen. food was impossible, but coffee was necessary, so I set about dumping an uncounted number of heaping spoonfuls of grounds into a filter, splashed an unmeasured amount of water into the carafe, and I flicked the switch. While the brew percolated, filling the small kitchen with its life-affirming scent, I leaned against the counter, The heels of my hands pressed to my eyes. It was so bright, even without a single lamp on inside the house, and a good amount of pre-rain cloud cover in the sky outside. It was still too bright, as if someone were shining a multi-hundred-lumen flashlight into my eyes. But, with my hands pressed to my face, the pain was lessened. I heard the final gurgle of the coffee maker, which sounded like an animal in the throes of choking to death, and gratefully poured an unsteady cup of the brown stuff. It was awful. Too strong. I didn't care. I burned my tongue and esophagus thoroughly by downing the entire first cup without pause. I was more patient with the second cup, which tasted much better considering I'd fried my taste buds on the first round. Barefoot. I went outside to collect eggs from the chicken coop, feed them, and make sure they had water. I opened my car to check to see if I'd left anything in there from the night before, but it was clean. Almost too clean. And I wondered, did stone pick up after me? It just seemed weird. I went back into the kitchen for a third cup of coffee and brought it out to the front porch to sit and sip for a while. It was definitely going to rain. I heard the phone ring inside and it startled me slightly, making me slop coffee on my t-shirt. Ah damn it, I exclaimed as I rose to answer the phone. Hello? Joe? It's Kevin. I'm just checking in on you. You looked pretty bad when I kicked you out yesterday. Oh. Hey Kev, I'm just I'm hungover as hell, but yeah, I'm okay, thanks. Hungover? Are you serious? You hardly ever drink more than one or two. Kevin chuckled. Yeah, my car wound up steering itself to the red barn out past the park toward my parents. I mean, my house. It was, uh, well, it was a serious tequila fest, man. I barely remember it. Bartender, whew, she was hot though. I played it cool. Though, as I talked about the red building in the woods, I got that squirmy feeling again. Well, okay, Kevin said. Just seriously, take care of yourself. I wasn't kidding about the trip to the beach, you know. I know. I don't want to go to the beach. I was mortified to hear the whine in my voice. Well, I mean, that's fine, I guess. Just take some time off. Call me when you're ready to come back, okay? You know, Kev, I wonder why it is when someone is grieving, people think that they need time off. Time alone when, really the truth of it is, we need to be busy, I mused aloud, not expecting Kevin to answer. Anyway, bye Kev, I'll call you in a week or so. I rang off. Nerves raw not knowing what I should do with myself, I decided to start on some of the updates I'd been toying with. And so I went upstairs, shoved my bare feet into the ancient and scarred work boots, then went out to the barn, fired up the old Ford pickup my dad used to drive. The cab of the truck smelled of Old Spice my father used to use, I used to hate that smell. Now, I loved it, though it did make me sad. Home Depot was crowded, it felt strange to be walking around Home Depot in the middle of a Tuesday morning with a still present though receding hangover. I looked at paint, chose a color I liked for the foyer, front hall, stairwell, and upper hall. I got a bunch of other stuff, brushes, rollers, tapes, drop cloths, and once home again, I put it all into the little closet under the stairs, and I promptly forgot about it, and I spent the rest of the day, restless, wandering the house and the yard, and when I wasn't wandering, I washed my little silver car, and dad's pickup. I cleaned the chicken coop. I dumped a bunch of stuff in Mom's old crockpot, not really paying attention, not caring if it would be edible that evening. It was a long day. That evening, I flicked through channels on the television, but found nothing of interest to watch. I felt nearly out of my mind with loneliness and grief. These meager distractions were doing nothing for me, and out of nowhere, I got a flash of the red building in the woods. The Red Barn. I could go there, I thought to myself. At least I'd be able to have a drink. Maybe Nessa would be there. Energized with the vague outline of a plan, I went upstairs to put on jeans instead of sweats, and to change my coffee-stained t-shirt. I found a mismatched pair of socks and put the scarred boots back on, and when I looked for my wallet, I couldn't find it anywhere. I nearly spent half an hour looking for it. I even looked in the freezer, though God knew why I would put it in there. Maybe it was in my car, but I halted that thought almost immediately. My car had been cleaned out. Well, I wanted to drive over there anyway. Maybe I'd left my wallet at the Red Barn last night. I mean, surely Nessa, if she'd found it, would have stowed it behind the bar, right? Right? And, driving more carefully than usual since I was operating motor vehicle without my license in my back pocket, I steered my car to the red building in the woods. This time, when I opened the door to the place, it was full night, had a full crowd, and much, much louder than the night before, because a live band was playing at the far side of the building. I wasn't noticed the way I'd been yesterday and there were simply too many people for me to stand out that much. But I did feel eyes on me. I glanced towards the bar. Nessa's gaze caught mine, and she lifted her chin in quick, silent greeting. By the time I would forced my way to the bar, she poured me a drink, and before I even had time to say anything, slid my wallet coolly across the heavily lacquered surface. Well, I was hoping you'd come back. "'She said smoothly. "'You left us here last night.' "'Thanks,' I said, my voice ringing with relief. "'I've been looking for it everywhere. "'It's actually why I came back tonight.' "'I had it in the safe,' Nessa said. "'It's here under the bar.' "'I heard a vague thump as she kicked it with the toe of her boot. "'Stone drove you home last night. "'I hope that was okay.' "'Yeah, thanks.' I said again, staring at my beer. She was so pretty, it was hard to look at her. Her cat eyes were green and slanted upward with thick black lashes. Her hair was long and sleek, tonight pulled back in a messy ponytail. She wore a red tank top and black leather pants. Her upper right arm had a tattoo, some symbol I didn't recognize, but I didn't know her well enough to ask her anything about her skin alterations. Plus, it was none of my business what she did to her skin. I silently sipped my beer for a while as Nessa continued to work the bar, taking and filling orders with a rhythm that was hypnotizing to watch. I hadn't been there very long when I felt that familiar leather-clad arm clamp around my shoulders in a squeeze. It was stone. I thought you might come back, Joe. Feeling all right? He asked in a friendly manner yeah i answered i definitely drank way too much last night i think i'm still hung over but yay for me i didn't vomit up any internal organs and i've managed to have a semi-productive day today thinking of my trip to home depot hey thanks for driving me home by the way oh it's no problem stone boomed want to make sure you got home safe chuck followed me to your place so i'd have a ride back chuck well yeah chuck stone boomed again pointing a finger to the other end of the bar to one of the guys who'd been there yesterday chuck grinned at me in greeting raised his glass and drank deeply right i said weakly. thanks again so you up for round two no freaking way I told him with earnest, and had him laughing so loud the whole room turned to look at him. I felt my cheeks go pink with embarrassment. No worries, no worries at all, friend, Stone said. Another time. And after a quick glance and nod at Nessa, she stalked off to another part of the room to talk with a redhead who'd hailed him. I finished my beer and left enough money on the counter to cover both drink and tip. I caught Nessa's eye and sent a wordless thanks her way. She understood and sent back a wordless goodbye, and I went home. That night, the nightmare was stronger than ever. I woke up at two o'clock in the morning with a scream on my lips. The sheets wrapped around me in a restrictive cocoon, sweating like I'd been hiking the desert at high noon. My heart was thumping out of my chest. I didn't understand what had woken me couldn't bring the dream to mind it was vague bloody and terrible yes but seen through a mist of shadows the only clear part being the red building in the woods just as my heart was slowing to a regular rhythm i heard the chickens out in the yard squawking and flapping in fright i peered out the window and saw once again the dark figures standing out in the yard staring up at me silver eyes glowing I didn't squeeze my eyes closed this time, but took time to register the casual stance, the dark clothing, the pale, too pale face. Half hidden by the hood of what was probably a sweatshirt, a male figure. Now some vague recognition tugged at me, but I just couldn't get there. My head began to hurt. Joey, my mom's voice said, was I still dreaming? I flipped around and saw the shadow of both my mother and father standing at the foot of the bed. Joey, mom said again. Mom? Dad? What's going on? I asked, frantic and confused. Everything's going to be all right, Joey. Your father and I are both here now, Joey. Will you come with us? We have something wonderful to show you. And without waiting for an answer, she and dad both turned and practically glided out of the bedroom door. I scrambled out of bed, frantic to keep up with them. Confused, scared, they were dead for God's sake. How was it possible that I was following them now, seemingly both alive? Out of my bedroom, down the stairs and out the front door figure in the yard, forgotten, remembered only when it rushed at me the moment I set foot on the front porch. That was all I knew. When I came to, I was in a darkened room, laying on a cot. The room stank of stale beer, cigarette smoke, and vomit. Droning, putting my hands up to support my acutely aching head, I tried to sit up. I would no idea where I was, but judging by the smell i was not the first person to find myself here there was enough light for me to tell the room was no longer than a prison cell maybe four by six feet there was a toilet a sink and a cot and that was it the walls were concrete block painted black and the faint light was coming from a blacked out window where some of the paint had been scratched off probably by the frightened fingernails of the room's previous occupants. There was a knock on the door, which startled me and made me yelp in surprise. The door swung open, revealing Nessa. Good. You're awake. Come with me, Slick. Her voice still honey-like, but with an icy edge I hadn't heard before. I stumbled to my feet and followed her. What's going on? I asked. She didn't answer me. She didn't respond to any of my queries at all. Just kept walking briskly until we were standing in the middle of the red barn. The huge room was empty of patrons, but sitting in a darkened corner was stone. I couldn't really see his face because he was lurking in the shadows, but I knew it was him. Further, I suddenly understood he'd been the figure lurking in the front yard, staring up at my bedroom. I was disconcerted. Confused, frightened, and several other things Angry, being one of them Ah, Joe, Stone said gravelly from his shadowed seat Don't get all puffed up on me, you'll just piss me off And we're friends, right? I didn't respond, just watched him Trying also to keep Nessa in my peripheral vision She seemed to be slowly creeping around behind me And that made me exceedingly uncomfortable I bet you're wondering why you're here Stone grumbled And I could tell you, but Then I'd have to kill you He laughed mirthlessly at his own joke Well, actually, I'm going to kill you anyway But since you're here And since you've been so willing to be my friend Anessa's I thought I'd explain before I off you what did I ever do to you? I asked, suddenly brave. I mean, if he was going to kill me anyway, I might as well piss him off. Ah, oh, You didn't do anything, Joe. I just like you, saw. See, you're fun. And I'd like to keep you around for the next millennia. Nessa would like to keep you too. He grinned wickedly in her direction, his sharp teeth glinting in the poor light. They had not been a hallucination. I could hear Nessa's irritated sigh off to my left. She was nearly behind me now. So here's the thing, Joe. I want your house. Me and Nessa and Chuck and the others. See, it's close to this place, and well, it's just perfect for us. So we're going to take it from you. See, first, we offered your mom. She was easy. A little mental suggestion, a few bad dreams, and she basically offed herself, really. She had bad heart. He trailed off at my look of surprise. Oh, you didn't know, did you? Well, I'm sure there were a lot of other things your parents never told you. You can ask them later. They're in the back. He grinned again, making me break out in goose flesh. Anyway, mommy has a heart attack during the night and simply doesn't wake up the next morning. Daddy was upset. So upset, he pined away for your mom until he, too, was ours for the taking. Again, a few bad dreams, one wickedly fun hallucination, and whoops! Those stairs just jumped up and tripped him. Too bad for you. But, you know, I like your dad. Well, I like your mom, too. They'll be good company for when you join us. Why would I join you? I asked, critically hatred seething, barely contained just beneath the surface of my skin. Why? Why? Because I want you to, that's why. Stone answered, as if it were the easiest thing in the world. I want your house. I want you to hang around for a while. Well, Nessa chose you, and she wants you to hang around too, among other reasons. That's not good enough. I growled at him through clenched teeth. "'amazing myself at my own bravery. "'Tell me the real reason, Stone.' "'All right, you got me,' Stone said, good-humored. "'You see, years ago, when your mom and dad bought the farm, "'they didn't know the value it really holds for me and mine. "'There are catacombs underneath that property "'that have been a part of my family for generations. "'So far back, you could not even begin.' to calculate it we have been gone for a long time but now I'm back and I want what's mine it was never yours never your parents either and it never belonged to anyone else who falsely held the deed he sneered at the word to that house and the surrounding lands I sold most of the land I said I know you sold all the land to me and mine we're everywhere now, taking over you useless humans one by one. My parents could tell you all about it later, but for now, I want you to say yes. You just say yes, and I'll make your death quick and painless. If fight me? Well, then you'll suffer for weeks before you finally join us. Who is us? I asked. It doesn't matter, Nessa said from directly behind me. All you need to know, Slick, is we're not vampires. I laughed then, real amusement echoing in the darkened room. (laughs) Vampires. Seriously, you want me to believe in vampires? No, Nessa said. I want you to believe we're not vampires. But if it makes it easy for you, you can think of us as one of the undead. That does apply. In a weird way. Nessa. Stone grumbled in warning. I'm sorry boss. She said and came around to my right side to stand beside me. Immediately I felt less cornered. You're out in the light. I said. Light? I like light. Stone said. I like the sun too. Though I have to admit it does slow me down some. I like the nightlife. I like to... Boogie. He sang the last part and grinned at me, silver eyes glinting malevolently. I told you, Slick, we're not vampires, Nessa said warily. Are you really that thick headed? Well, what are you then? Ancient, Stone replied. Ancient and not something you want to fuck with. So, are you in or are you out you see either way let's just get this started he rubbed his hands together in clear anticipation now nah, wait i said i want to talk to my parents first nope not until afterwards i already told you that stone said evenly i thought long and hard i wanted to live i wanted to live more than i wanted that beer when i first set inside this awful place I wanted to go back to my dull job and my boring life, no matter what it took. But if I couldn't have those things, I did, desperately, want to keep my life for my own. I began to look around, trying to think of a way I might escape. I was too far from the external door. I didn't think I could make it. But just as I began to contemplate escape, a shrieking scream came from the back room. High-pitched and awful worse than nails down a chalkboard i covered my ears automatically in response glasses on the bar began to shatter and both stone and nessa lost their focus on me damn it nessa said and left my side to run toward the back room would you shut them up stone hollered after her i didn't think then i just ran I ran for the door and barged out into the bright sunlight, thanking God it was still bright daylight outside. There were no cars in the parking lot, so I just took off at top speed, grateful for all the monotonous hours in the gym. The red barn was six miles from the farm, and I knew I probably wouldn't make it, but I had to try. I pushed hard, my legs pumping under me, screaming at the effort. I didn't stop to look behind me, and was just on the verge of stopping, just on the cusp of breaking down and giving up, when I rounded the curve and saw the farmhouse off to the right. It was less than a quarter mile away. I had to make it. I had to. I ran again as fast as I could, my strength fading quickly, my heart pumping hard, my breathing becoming ragged, and made it to my little house. I dashed inside, grabbed my wallet and my passport took time to stuff a few random pieces of clothing into a duffel bag I snagged my keys and was back outside running for the barn less than 5 minutes later I wanted the truck it wasn't much for gas mileage and it was more than familiar to the locals but I was hoping it wouldn't be as familiar to them whatever they were the truck coughed to life And i screamed out of the barn pushing pedal to the metal my only thought was to get as far away from the farmhouse as i could knowing i'd never be able to go back but not able to spare a thought for the loss of that too somehow i got lucky i'm in rio right now things have been quiet stone and nessa almost caught up with me in san diego two months ago But luck stayed with me and I managed to slip away from them again. They're pissed at me and they're not going to stop. They've made that abundantly clear. I don't know what will become of me if they catch up with me because they will, especially after I publish this. Like I said, I'm in Rio right now and I'm staying in Rio. After two years of looking over my shoulder, I'm dog tired. Am I giving up? Hell no. Well, maybe a little, I suppose. But see, the bottom line is I want you all to know that there are worse things out there than debt, government conspiracies, and lab rats. Worse than losing your mother and your father in your home. And you've got to keep your eyes open. You've got to watch, people. You have got to watch. For eyes that glow silver in the dark of night, and teeth as sharp as razor blades. Do I regret my life? Yeah, kind of do. I know I could have done so much more with it. I would have too, if I hadn't run into Nessa. For me, it comes down to Nessa and that first beer she passed over the counter to me. I lied when I said I'd only gone back for my wallet. I'd gone back to make a go at Nessa too even though I was pretty sure she'd laugh in my face, but apparently she wanted me too. And now that's why she and Stone have been dogging my every turn for the last 27 months. She wants me, and she'll turn over every stone in her path until she finds me. I realize now it was my parents in the back room of the building in the woods, my parents making all that awful noise as a distraction so I could run, at least that's what I think anyway, And so for my friends, I guess I just want to say I'm sorry, I know you don't believe me, and that'll be easier for you to believe I bolted out of grief, but that's only partially true, I ran to save my life, and now I'll die to save yours.